I would love to help you put your heart in the lead. I would love to help you honor your emotions as they arise. I'd like to help you grow upward. I'm Danielle Laporte, and this is my podcast with love, Danielle. Hello, friends. I am extra stoked for today's conversation. I've been wanting to talk about thoughts and feelings and my thoughts on feelings and my feelings about thoughts for a long time. I really think this is like, this is one of the four pillars. I I didn't even know there are four pillars to my new book, but if there were four, this would be one of them. I want to talk about where feelings really come from and why feeling good is actually not about feeling good. (laughs) It's all going to make sense. My friends, this is episode 57 of With Love, Danielle, where I am now going to attempt to blow your mind, open your heart. Here we go. Hey, wait, before we really get rolling, two things. If you head to daniellelaporte.com slash how to be loving, you'll figure out how to get a ticket for my free event that I'm having on October 11th, which is the official shipping date for how to be loving. If you pre-order A bunch of beautiful things happen. One, I'm going to send you a voice memo, a little sonic love every Sunday for a year. Just Sunday mornings, two minutes of some goodness. And the second awesome thing, there's actually three awesome things. The second awesome thing is you get your ticket for my Open Your Heart, Uncondition Your Mind online event. Okay, the other great thing about pre-ordering books, and by the way, I highly encourage you to order from your favorite online independent bookstore, or go into a bookstore and pre-order it if that's a thing that your local people do. Reason why? Because we want to spread the prosperity around, and the huge global retailers, do they really need more of what we got? I mean, I'm happy to be circulating my love through all channels, but I got to put my heart into plugging the indies. Okay, so daniellelaporte.com slash how to be loving, and you'll see some really easy one, two, three steps on how to support love on all levels, and I'm deeply appreciative. Thank you, and thank you for being here today. Let's get into it. So I've made a major discovery in the last say seven years of my life. Are you ready? A meaningful life, and you're here because you want a meaningful life, is not necessarily predicated on how you feel. You can still live with deep purpose. You can still have amazing fulfillment without feeling awesome all the time, because isn't that the way life really is? (laughs) And being loving, being more conscious and aware, and living lives of compassion and resilience are not about suppressing negative emotions or centering all of the positive, happy, paint-your-kitchen-yellow, cheery emotions. It's all of the things. I think the self-help movement has really derailed us, actually, from the fulfillment that we seek by driving us to always be making things happy and positive and more comfortable. And what's your experience of that? 
Is that consistent? (laughs) No, that's not consistent. You can still be in a bad mood and do something really good and loving with your day, right? Right. So ultimately, our feelings, our emotions do not define our degree of service, of how we're showing up in the world, of what we're giving to the world. How we feel does not define our spiritual growth. This is really the nut. I'm going to peel back. Our feelings do not define our satisfaction. Our feelings do not define our satisfaction with our experience of being alive. Because we're going to feel everything, the whole melange of emotions while we're here. And we can still end each day, each decade, each lifetime saying, you know, that was a deeply satisfying experience. So here's what I think. I think that shifting from an emotion-driven life to a more heart-centered life, I think that's really the aim. And I think it's a developmental process. So with lived experience and with living more reflectively, more deeply, what happens is our emotional literacy starts to increase. So by that I mean we can make sense of a greater variety of emotions. As an example, we could have this broad brushstroke reaction or description and just say, I was hurt. But as we get deeper into our heart, we can see more of the the hues, the colors of that pain. Maybe hurt is really disappointment or feeling hurt was more about feeling rejected or underneath the pain is really this underlying fear of losing control, right? And the same skill to see the nuance of our feelings applies to everything that we easily, obviously label as positive feelings. So instead of just saying, I'm happy about this, we realize that we're feeling connected or the happiness is more like this, the sensation of delight. It's lighter and more carbonated. Or happiness could be the result of an outpouring of sharing. My experience has been that I can be feeling the heavy stuff, like grief, and at the same time, experiencing a deep connection to source. And that was my aha. That's how I shifted the question that was guiding my life around wanting to feel certain ways and driving my life toward certain feelings. There might be times in our lives where happiness is elusive, but we know that we are growing in really profound ways. Things aren't sunny, but we are making progress that we would never want to go back on. We all know that we can feel sad and down on a particular day, and we are still more than willing and very able to bring happiness to another person's day. We can be in the dark, and we can be somebody else's light. So that being the case, and that's the hill I'm standing on right now, then it's true that we can steadily evolve. And I think steadily here is the operative word. Steadily evolve, even within the highs and the lows of life. But it's easier to evolve without the highs and the lows. 
So what I'm really saying is that emotions and desire are very useful. They're essential to our evolution, but they are not what we are ultimately evolving toward. Feeling good is not the end game. And if we let emotions and desires run the show of our life, we are in for a lot of drama and a lot of distraction from the truth, capital truth, and our true nature. At this point in my life, I feel that the higher aim is to put the heart in the lead. And when you're living heart-centered, you're going to honor your emotions as they arise. Just like a mother honors the cries of her child. And then you're going to use those feelings and those emotions that are surfacing on behalf of love. So how can what I'm feeling right now help me be more conscious help me be more calm, and therefore help me be of service to the collective. So I use all of my emotions as intelligence to help me be more loving. So that means that for periods of growth, our guiding question is going to be, and it should be, how do I want to feel? You know, I based my career on that question with the desire map. 300,000 plus, plus, plus people have done the desire map methodology, all revolving around identifying your core desired feelings. What were you going to set up in your life for what you want to do, have an experience that was going to help you generate the feelings that you desired? I think that's an important, essential process to developing as a full human being. I think it's a, a layer of growth that we cannot skip. We've got to be asking ourselves, how do I want to feel? That question wakes us up to our creative capacity. It's a question that advances us on the path to self-knowledge. And knowing how you want to feel or how you don't want to feel helps to orient you to your free will, to your self-agency, to the fact that you have choicefulness every day of the week, every nanosecond of eternity. Getting clear on how you want to feel and doing what it takes to feel that way helps you heighten your bodily awareness. It helps you read the cues from your nervous system. This is really essential. Your feelings become map markers to what you want to manifest. So again, I'm not flushing my last decade of work down the rapids. How do I want to feel? is an essential inquiry for self-awareness, for honoring our humanity. But, and, and this is my point today, probably for the next decade, we can't stop there. We have to keep rising. We have to keep including and then transcending our experiences, transcending after we have integrated them, integrating and transcending our feelings. We have to grow upward. And when we commit to doing that, a new question is going to take us even further into the heart. What do I want to embody? And by embody, I mean you are consistent really in your virtuousness. So you commit to being love or being compassion, and that is being expressed 
and how you talk to other people and the messages that you leave and what you feed your body and how you take care of yourself. Really, embodiment is about consistent integrity with those higher qualities of love. Okay, I want to do an experiment with you. Who's game? Your game? Okay, great. Super. All right, let's use sadness. Sadness as our sample test. So everybody, think about a sad feeling that you've had in the past or that you're currently experiencing, okay? So you observe yourself feeling sadness. What do you look like? What sadness feel like? All right. This is a strange question. Could change your life. How do you know that you're sad? How do you know you're sad? How do you know that what you're feeling should be called sadness? Why did you decide to label that experience that causes sadness as sadness? You don't have to have an answer, but just stick with me. What else is that, now I'm going to put it in quotes, sadness attached to? So is the sadness from the current event connected to prior events that had the same kind of vibration, happened around the same people? What's the association with the sadness? All right, stay with me. We're in this soupy question around sadness. I have another question for you. When and how did you learn to be sad? Did someone model sadness for you? Do you remember seeing, observing sadness when you were young, younger? Did somebody let you know the things that should make you sad? And then by default, you know, what were the things that they thought should make you happy? Okay, let's move out of the soupy sadness. So just take a few breaths, and then you just let that sadness drift out the nearest window. It goes up into the sky, joins the clouds, and it drifts away completely and entirely dissolves. Okay, you want to keep going? (laughs) Okay, I have another one for you. Let's do anger. Anger is such a great emotion to work with because it's so instructive. Okay, so here's here's like a little story. A friend was going to pick you up, and they were late. And because they were late, you're not going to get home that night. You missed your last train home. You missed the plane. The whole point is you're really disappointed about not being able to get home that night because your friend was late. And so you decide that you're angry at your friend. Okay. What made you think that you should have an angry reaction toward your friend. Why be angry? Why select that emotional response? So it may have been a lot of little things that you were miffed at that built up, and then kaboom, you label this as now I have a legit reason to be legit angry. Okay, understandable. Let's go back even further. Were you ever told by family members, or was it modeled for you that people who are late are disappointing and you should be angry because they disappointed you? 
Did you witness somebody in your household school, a movie, being reprimanded for not being on time? So everything we're leading to here is, this is the big question, how do you think you learned to be angry? Okay, we're going to get out of that soup now. So just let the imaginary or remembered anger go. Let's take a deep cleansing breath. You're back here in the moment. Maybe you want to send the anger off to the sky to float off like the clouds again with a sadness party. Sadness party of two, going to be joined by anger, but poof, floats away. Okay, so this is an exercise in helping us realize that we acquire a lot of our feelings from past experiences. That a lot of the ways that we choose to feel, feeling is a choice, uh, it requires some training, but we'll get to that. A lot of the ways that we choose to feel is based on social conditioning. We're told how we should feel about certain things. What should make us sad? What should make us happy? What should make us angry? What should make us relieved, right? And we collect all of those past experiences and messages and teachings. And I always see them as like these little color swatches. And we'll have an experience in present time and we pick out this little swatch and say, oh, this experience, this color, matches this emotion. So this experience of someone being late tells me that, oh, yeah, I should apply anger to this. It was because someone put those colors in our box. I should feel angry. I should feel pleasure. This makes me regretful. This is exciting. We're told what the fitting response is. We roll out the gloomy response when the weather isn't what we want it to be. Why should we be bummed when the weather isn't what we want it to be? Or we crank up the excitement when we think we're getting the gift that we want. It's really simple. We're in the moment. We say to ourselves, you know, this is happening and therefore I should feel this. And all of those therefores are social programming. So here's the nugget. Emotions are habitualized thoughts. The thoughts that we are in the habit of thinking get labeled as emotions. And by their very nature, you know, habits are reactive. That's why we create habits, so we don't have to think about it. You don't have to consciously think about the action or the repeating thought. So this becomes a really slippery slope in terms of our emotional swatches that we pull out for different events. So if many of our emotions are habitual then how can we be genuinely present? How can we be present in all situations if we're actually coming from an unconscious, socially programmed habit? It's tricky. How can we create uh, what I like to call flowing alertness? That's just a more poetic term for consciousness. So that we can meet every person with what they need from us, with how we want to be genuinely, deeply from our heart in that situation. We can meet all the events of our life with flowing alertness, except we're so habituated to feel certain ways in certain circumstances. All right. 
I think the answer to becoming more present is to just be aware that our emotions come from the past. Just starts with like a bit of spiritual knowledge that every emotion has a reference point that's connected to something that happened before or something we were taught or trained to believe. Taught or trained to believe before this current moment. Emotions live in the subconscious. That's all the lower chakras, right? Lower doesn't mean less than, by the way. Lower is just lower. So emotions and feelings hang out in the shadow self, which is to say, emotions don't come from the heart center. Let me press pause here right now and just give us a really quick example. Love is not an emotion. Love is a higher state of consciousness. Love is a state of pure beingness. Love is the sky. It's not the clouds passing through the sky. The clouds passing through the sky are all the emotions, positive and negative. They come and go. Love is the substance. Love is the light source. The virtues, higher states of consciousness, are the space and the light. So again, emotions come from the unconscious part of ourselves. That's okay, it's human. We need our emotions to navigate. The heart is the portal to real love, to higher states of being. The heart is not a receptacle for the unconscious part of ourselves. The heart is wakeful. It's not reactive. So back to our humanity because this is not a guilt trip about having feelings or being human. It's about awakening to all parts of ourselves. It's about loving our feelings. It's about using our feelings to become more conscious. So, so we're all familiar with that pendulum swing. We can be really happy and really sad in one day. You know, there's that swing between pleasure and pain. And even though that swing is happening, Emotions are not bad. They aren't base. They are part of our whole makeup. There's storm clouds. There's fluffy clouds. There's sunlight. It's all part of nature. Emotions are fantastical, beautiful, messy, gorgeous, gritty part of being human. Emotions and feelings are part of the instinctiveness that can save our lives. Emotions are the flavor of our humanness. Emotions help us employ our free will. So it's all kinds of goodness. It's just not the end game. The end game, which never ends, is infinite, is expansion, is higher consciousness, is realizing that we are here to embody love. So every single emotion, every single feeling that we have is surfacing, saying hello, so that it gets integrated into our hearts. It wants to be made conscious. It wants to be embraced. It wants the light of our love, our anger, our frustration, our disappointment, our delight, our sharingness, our connection. It's all saying, hey, I'm here. You're experiencing me. This is part of your nature floating by. Do you see me? Do you see me? Do you see me? Do I need to be louder? Do I need to be more distinct? Do I need to visit you every morning? Ah, you see me. You're not resisting me. You're not resisting the feeling. Great, then I can live in your heart and you can expand and have more experiences that are conscious, that are based in the present, 
not a feeling that you're having today because of something that's unresolved from something that happened in the past. So let's just put aside any concern we have about spiritual bypassing. That's not what we're doing. In fact, we're doing the opposite. We're becoming conscious and embracing of our shadowy nature, of our love nature. So every single feeling gets integrated into our wholeness, into our hearts. And we keep in mind that our attention, our mindfulness, is one of our currencies of love. And we all know, and we have all learned over time, that if we ignore our emotions, they become more persistent and more intensified over time. So neglecting our emotions um, or pushing them down, partitioning particular feelings, actually does not free up any energy, which is what we think it's going to do. We're like, if we just keep this rage in this box on the shelf, then I've got all this extra energy to be happy and successful and free, and that's not how it works. The rage is just going to get louder, you know? It's going to show up in some outburst or form of anxiety or sleepless nights or something going little sideways in the body. So if we're trying to will ourselves to not feel our sadness or our jealousy or the other more desirable emotions like ecstasy, because ecstasy gets suppressed all the time. Thank you, organized religion. If we're pushing those things aside so that we can be more spiritual or more productive or supportive or balanced, it just it doesn't work that way. It backfires every time. Feelings are a form of energy. Every feeling has a vibration, vibrates at a particular level. Virtues vibrate at a higher level. So even the so-called negative or dark feelings, they each have potential to kind of move up the vibratory scale, right? So dark feelings come bearing the gift of light within them. So if we don't fully acknowledge how we're actually feeling, then what we're going to do is create energy blocks. And worse than that, we'll miss out on the expansiveness that comes when we are attending to our interior experience. So when you're still and you look within, you go deeper inside, you become more spacious. And with that spaciousness, everything has room to calm down. You can accommodate all the emotions. They do not run you. You are not ruled by the feelings. You're not chasing the high. You're not dealing with the addiction to the low vibration feelings. You have space for everything. And you are walking on the path as awakened love. You see what's going on and you're always going to choose a response that comes from your loving nature, even when you're fighting for justice. All right, let me use my own enlightenment journey as an example about really judging myself for not feeling enlightened. Um, I was feeling so resentful that a particular friend was being such a long-term drag. And I was feeling super unspiritual about all of it. So I didn't admit to myself, I didn't even really see it, that I was 
seething with resentment. <laughs> uh, and it was getting really rough putting up with their consistent Eeyore melancholy. Uh, but because I wanted to be like this endlessly patient, yogic, and evolved friend, I just acted endlessly patient to myself. Self-deception. Now, extending patience to another person is obviously an act of love. It's a great act of selflessness. But telling yourself that you only ever feel light about the heavy lifting of love, that's just self-deception. And lying to yourself is a setback on the path to loving kindness. So I had to have a confessional talk with myself, which I tend to do while I'm loading the dishwasher. I think I have some angel that visits me in my kitchen at night. So, you know, that kind of moment of domestic introspection. You know, the house is quiet. All you can hear is the seagulls in the background 24-7 at my house. But without having any rancor toward my suffering friend, because my heart is so truly in love with them, I decided to turn my patience toward myself. So I'd been giving them the benefit of the doubt and them all of this patience for their heaviness. But I hadn't been giving myself any of that sweetness, you know? So just like, oh, I'm going to turn it on some Danielle right now. And I admitted that this no fun shit is wearing me the shit down. And the nanosecond that I admitted that this was no fun for me and it was actually wearing on me, deep exhale, quickly followed by the surge of happiness and love. Love for them, love for me, love for their hard time, love for my hard time. Really lovely, all over the dishes. And that wave of relief and happiness and love helped me restore my resolve to keep loving my friend as they were and loving me as I needed to be loved. And I booked a hotel that weekend and gave myself a break. Win-win. <laughs> Emotions in and of themselves aren't the problem. The weather is never the problem. What's problematic is identifying as our emotions. We see ourselves as the sadness. We see ourselves as the anger. The emotions take us over. We let them take us over and we get pulled off center into their highs and into their lows. We can let the emotions cloud our vision and we can make a lot of bad decisions from that distorted perspective. Or we can pull back we realize that we are conscious beings. We're not ruled by our unconscious selves. We see our emotions as weather patterns, neither good nor bad. But depending on the weather, we decide intentionally what we're going to do with our day, with our words, our actions, our deeds. Are we going to take shelter or are we going to head outside? Let's talk about emotionality and our unhealed selves. So every emotion is carrying a message. Every emotion is there to tell us something. The stronger the negative emotion, the closer it is to an unhealed wound that we're still carrying. The stronger the emotion, the negative emotion, the more it's trying to get our attention 
And that attention is the medicine. So it's saying, you know, there's something unhealed over here and it needs your help. So I'm going to be really loud about it. I'm going to be really insistent about this. I'm going to come at times when you don't want me to be there just to get your attention. In varying degrees of trying to get our attention, right? So sometimes we can make an obvious connection between our current emotions and experiences that came from the past. You know, it's things like, well, when he talks to me in that tone, it makes me feel agitated because it reminds me of when my father used to say similar things to me and I felt discounted. So we're connecting the dots from the negative response in current time to the past. And that is super cool. That kind of awareness is going to help you shake out of patterns of reactivity. And then you don't do or say things that you regret. You don't say things that are damaging to you or to other people. Connecting your current reaction to something that happened in the past is going to bring way more ease and balance into the present. It's brilliant, but (laughs) this is a sweet, but you don't have to connect every single real-time emotional (laughs) flare-up to an event that happened in your childhood. Everything that is intense right now is not necessarily a past life trip. As deep and introspective as I want us to go on this, at the same time, I know it's going to sound ironic, there's no need to overthink this stuff, right? Okay, so let me say that in another way. If you are, if one is, if we are habitually going out of our way, it's almost a chronic response where we're like, what does my reaction right now have to do with how I got injured in the past? You know, I'm, I'm being dramatic here to make my point. Then that is just keeping us in habitual thinking, which is unconsciousness. And it's perpetuating guilt traps about why we should be guilty, why the person in our present who triggered us should be guilty, and why the person in our past who created the original wound should be guilty, right? So going out of your way to make the present-to-past connections can be one big guilt trip. Don't have to process everything. And I hope you find some relief in that idea that we do not have to process everything in order to grow. We can just feel the feeling. And if we so choose, we can assess the effects of what that feeling does to us. We can look at the thoughts that accompany the feeling. We can see if there's fresh perspectives and ideas that the feeling brought us. We can see if that feeling needs a little more curiosity or if it needs some respect from us. You know, we have this beautiful exercise in our heart-centered leadership program called Love Letters. And what our facilitators and coaches and community leaders and yoga teachers, all the people who have the license for the curriculum. And if you're interested in that, by the way, you can go to daniellelaporte.com slash leaders. What they're walking people through is an exercise to observe your relationship, your reactivity to different emotions and how we judge our feelings. So we have people write a love letter to their rage and to their doubt, the feelings that we obviously label as negative. And we have them look for the gifts in that relationship 
to those feelings. And then we have people write a love letter to their happiness and their courage and their loving kindness and see how sometimes we actually over-identify or we over-privilege those feelings. Anyway, suffice to say, it's a beautiful exercise from the Heart-Centered Leadership Program. The idea being that we bring reverence and respect to all of the feelings that we experience. That's the loving move. That's the expansion move. And hopefully between feelings, we want to witness and to honor and to learn from our feelings. We want to interpret the signals that our emotions are always, always sending us. We want to fully feel our feelings without over-identifying with them. Fully feel your feelings. It can be just a passing through. It can be deeply, it can be for years. It can be repetitive. It can be a rainstorm. But we want those feelings to keep moving through us so that we don't over-identify with them. We feel them. We release them. We love our feelings. We do not try to possess them. Just like weather patterns passing through a sheltering sky. All right, my loves. I'm going to do a part two of this. This I'm calling thoughts on feelings. We're going to move into feelings about thoughts. Because you can have feelings about your feelings. And you can have thoughts about your thoughts. And you can have thoughts about your feelings. And you can have feelings about your thoughts. And sometimes we feel other people's feelings. It's all really amazing if you think about it. So please come back same time next week. I'm going to be inviting you to look at the relationship between your thoughts and your personality. It's juicy. Ultimately, next week, I'm inviting you to take the red pill. See you soon with love, Danielle. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word with love.